Hello and welcome back to the Sunday Long Read Podcast. My name is Jacob Feldman. Thank you again for joining us today. Uh, I've got an excellent guest on the other end of the line, Jessica Pressler. Uh, is a staff writer at New York Magazine, and she's got a National Magazine Award nomination to her name and, and also evidently is a favorite of some of Hollywood's biggest producers. Her 2015 story, The Hustlers at Scores, has been adopted, adapted excuse me, into the movie Hustlers in theaters now featuring Jennifer Lopez. Meanwhile, Pressler's 2018 story about New York City grifter Anna Delvey is being adapted by Shonda Rhimes into a Netflix series. Most recently, a story Pressler wrote this summer on Brooklyn's Grace Church School swept the internet off its feet and was one of our most clicked on picks so far this year. So I think we're, we're going to start there. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. Uh, Virginia Heffernan was actually our guest editor of the week that story came out, and, and she summed up the story of the battle for Grace Church better uh, than I think I ever could. So I'm going to just read what she wrote back then. In a ticking time bomb struggle for power at Grace Church School, Jessica Pressler finds three species of rich people, and better yet, breaks them down in a way even someone far from the Gulf Stream set can grasp. There are raggedy patricians with quote-unquote values, if not Bitcoin. There are boring hedgies. And stylish, Instagram-ready stars like Maggie Gyllenhaal and the peppy wife of an NBA figure I hadn't heard of. That would be uh, JJ Reddick for, for the basketball fans out there. Given that everyone sucks up to the rich, Virginia wrote, you got to pick your poison. So, Jessica, uh, tell me, how, how did you stumble upon Grace Church? Um, so, I have uh, children that age. Um, and I, when you have kids that age, you're kind of on a circuit where you hear stories about schools <laughs> and yeah. uh, ordinarily you know i would just kind of if be- before i had children i would have just walked away and, and not listened to the story but um you know you kind of lean in it's interesting gossip when you hear about a school <laughs> kind of going uh going south um and it was especially fun like schadenfreude for me because i live in queens i've been mm-hmm. priced out of brooklyn <laughs> and i live in queens so it was like oh what's happening at the school in brooklyn it's so it's supposed to be so great and, and picturesque there <laughs> um so it was interesting to me um and uh yeah so it was just kind of i heard it from a couple of different people um just kind of as like parent gossip mm-hmm. and then when i looked into it i felt like it was actually this like much richer more interesting story about the neighborhood and really the city as a whole and gentrification um and wealth and power and money um and and school politics which are you know very much like high school politics or any politics Mm -hmm. um so so that's basically how i came to it and uh, the characters were fascinating and everybody in it was like a name of some kind um so it was really appealing in in like a a big little lies kind of way i guess yeah yeah it's perfect i was going to ask you about that later but that was the comparison a lot of people made was that something you were thinking about while you were doing the reporting or or, or the writing that that comparison to that that hbo uh series um sort of uh i guess like in that 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 series kind of opened up like a, a there's a, a taste for that kind of material like it, it's clear that that material is of interest to people um, yeah. including myself as a parent like <laughs> um the the yeah that like people are interested in these kind of like strange uh uh political things that happen in this like social maneuvering um that goes on mm-hmm. uh among parents at uh nursery schools um, yeah. yeah, so that's like a, 
a fraction of big little lies in some ways, but like it's a fraction that is really interesting and that I think people want to know more about. And, and so when you have a story like this, do you take it to the editors first? Do you kind of reach out and do a couple pre-interviews with, with, with folks in the neighborhood? How do you how do you get the ball rolling on something like this? How did I get the ball rolling? I, I started just by kind of cold calling people <laughs> as I do, which was like kind of one of the creepiest reporting endeavors I've ever mm experience because like as a parent of a young child if you sent me an email about my kid's school and a drama yeah. going on there I would like <laughs> throw my computer in the garbage and run away like so I, I felt very like apologetic ap approaching mm. people about this subject but there were a few people you know who who understood why it was an interesting story and saw the bigger picture and who kind of helped me piece things together and then it just kind of became it sort of snowballed from there yeah and and, and did you have trouble getting people to talk or ha ha what, what ultimately did you find as as the best way to, to, to get them to at least sit down with you um, I had so much trouble getting people to talk. It was really, really difficult. It's a very small community. A lot of people use the word Mayberry when describing mm -hmm. it. Um, it. It was not a thing that anybody wanted to be caught talking about or quoted on the record talking about. It was super sensitive. So I basically decided at some point that I was going to be like the Bob Woodward of the situation. <laughs> I was just going to talk to everybody on background yeah. for the most part, um, just to figure out, you know, what happened. It's like, I need to just know what happened. Just tell me what happened. And like, we can, you know, work out, you know, people are always very concerned about like, you know, say it's a person close to a person in this grocery store at the neighborhood. You know, I'm like, all right, we'll work that out later. But like, right. I just need to know what happened. Like tell me what happened. <laughs> so it was kind of going after it like that. And yeah, I guess like as a reporter, like I, I'm not like a news reporter, but if you hmm. don't want to tell me something, it, it makes me very interested in learning <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I kind of became like rabid in the search for information <laughs> about this. Um, you know, very small story. You you uh, you tweeted after the story came out that you, know, you liked a lot of the people you, you, you talked to. I'm curious how your feelings about the various people, the various factions kind of developed from not hearing rumors about them to, to sitting down with them and, and writing about them. Right. Well, because the reason that I said that and what I said was because people were saying, oh, all the people in the story are terrible and, and uh, you know, then they all deserve to like, you know, go to jail I don't know things that people say on social media mm -hmm. um yeah because things were on background I guess I couldn't um I was trying to kind of protect the identity of the people I had talked to so I didn't like fully render them as I might have rendered them if it had been able to be obvious that I spoke to them if that makes sense sure um so I do feel like they kind of maybe came across um, a little flatter than I would have liked. Um, and that bummed me out because I do think at the end of the day, even though this was like, it was like a hysteria basically yeah. what happened, but the people involved weren't unrelatable. Um, they all wanted the best for their children. They all wanted a happy workplace. The motivations were good. It's just that they kind of coalesced into something crazy. Do you do you feel like you saw yourself in, in some of these characters maybe more than 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 the average reader did at the end of the day? Um, I can't speak for the average reader because I don't really even know who that is. Sure. Um, but I, I think that like I am a uh, I'm 
kind of like an empath and everybody that I'm talking to, I, I can kind of, um, understand their motivations and I do uh, see where, try to see where they're coming from. But, but yeah, I, I saw myself and I saw, even though I, I said, I don't live in Brooklyn, I live in Queens. Like I saw my community like has kind of the same kinds of anxieties and we'll all be talking about, you know, which school you're going to. And, and uh, there is kind of a craziness that takes hold um, in New York city about schools. Um, and you say, I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to participate in this. And then inevitably you get <laughs> sucked in and you do because everybody around you is doing it. And it is kind of this mass hysteria. And it's yeah. like that in, in other cities and in, uh, I assume in other places in the country as well. Like there is just kind of this this uh, kind of nuttiness that takes hold of you and you, you start thinking like, oh my gosh, this is my kid's entire life. It's so important. Um, you know, I can't, I need to like give it my all. Um, and it is pretty crazy and also not. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to, I guess so my empathy comes from being like, it's crazy, but it's also not like there are, uh, you know, it, with Grace Church and with these people, it, it, the level on which they were kind of playing with this was very, um, you know, it, it was a different, a different milieu than, than most, than the average bird, I would say for sure. Right. Um, and that made it fun and schadenfreude to read about. But at the same time, I do think that that is happening um, kind of across the board in some ways with parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, you know, I think you, you write so intelligently about the 1%, the wealthy, the, the, the climbing and I guess maybe, maybe so well that maybe sometimes they, they feel like they're not like us. Right. But I, I guess, uh, and, and, and almost all the time they are. Right? And, and so that's a balance I imagine. Yeah, that's a really, um, that's a, a delicate balance. I mean, I, I have interviewed since I've been at New York Magazine for 10 years. I, I, I have, you know, because uh, it's New York Magazine and we cover money and power, I have like interviewed a lot of members of the 1%, mm -hmm. maybe even, maybe even, 80% of the 1%. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, they are always kind of relatable to me. And in, mm. in, I mean, everybody's a human being. Everybody has the same human instincts. Um, people come from different backgrounds. They have anxieties that are related to where they grew up. Um, yeah, so I always empathize with those people, even though you then find out that they are like getting on a private jet and like that they have, you know, four homes and, and uh, you know, seven pairs of sneakers for each of their homes and all that's unrelatable right. things yeah. but um but yeah at the end of the day these are human beings um just like us yeah they're and rich they're just like us that's exactly and, and then and tell me as you're writing this we mentioned you know some of the the, the hollywood uh success connections whatever whatever word you want to use were you envisioning this has has those uh, connections change the way you write? Did you envision this any differently as, as you're thinking about, you know, the, the work that you've now had uh, sold to, to screens of various sizes? Yeah, it's so funny. Um, this has been such a like wacky year and I've <laughs> been so incredibly lucky with the, those things. I mean, mm -hmm. I think we'll see, mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll see how it all turns out, but, yeah. um, I've been super lucky and it really has to do with like timing because there is, um, there is just right now we're in peak TV still, and there is yeah. um, a massive amount of interest in nonfiction and real, real 
life material um, because the world that we're living in is insane and it's <laughs> like nothing you could ever make up. So, so I, I feel like it's been so fortunate for me as a long form writer at this particular period. And it also probably helps that um, I'm at New York and uh, New York Magazine's um, kind of mission throughout the years since its founding um, was to cover money and power and ambition. And we now have a product of that culture in the White House. Right. So I feel like there's an interest in in the material um, from for that reason and also just because people want uh, stories that they can make into Netflix series um, and things are happening faster and thing, more things are happening. Um, so yeah, I've really, really, really lucked out. Um, I wouldn't say that it's like changed the way that I've uh, written things at all. Um, but it's fun. It's like fun to like to see something get go on to have another life. It's like, yeah. you, you know, normally it's like you give birth to this story and it takes you forever and then it takes people 15 minutes to read and then it's mm -hmm. like gone. <laughs> and so it's kind of nice to see things kind of go forth and prosper and, and continue to have a life beyond a magazine article. Right. Have you gotten bombarded by jealous uh, colleagues and writers asking, you know, how, how they can get their story turned into something? No, I mean, they're getting approached themselves. I feel like there there is a, a huge kind of uh, grab for for real stories. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that it used to be back in the day that that things would be optioned and then nothing would happen. I think right. now that thing now things are happening more frequently. Yeah. So, so tell me, let's talk. What was the process with, with Hustlers in, in terms of? Uh, who reached out and, and kind of what after that was published how it turned into something else right so hustlers um i started that story in i want to say october of 2014 september october of 2014 so it was a fairly long time ago at this point mm -hmm. um and uh in the middle of it or to actually towards the end of it i had already filed the story um I did a cover story on Adam McKay and the big short. Um, and when that was coming out, um, and then afterward I sent him a link to the story in a kind of mass email that I sent, you know, everyone I had ever known because I had been working on the story for a really long time. <laughs> um, and was just like, please read this. I spent, you know, ages on the phone with this woman and, and, uh, and working on the story and I really like it. Um, which is unusual for me. Like I usually don't like my stories after I read them, mm -hmm. but I did, I did kind of like that story. Now I see flaws, but, um, now that I have to talk about it so much, right. but, um, yeah, so, so Adam responded and as it happened, his production company at the time, Gary Sanchez had, um, another, had like a kind of offshoot, um, Gloria Sanchez run by this woman, Jessica Elbaum. And she was focusing on developing, female centric material. And so she, um, she picked up on it and was like, I would like to develop this. Um, and I was like, great, because I, I felt like, you know, from watching the big short and reading the script, I was like, Oh, he, he would actually get this. He like, you know, Adam understands like these characters that are complicated, that aren't necessarily heroes. Um, this is like the right home for something like this for sure. If, um, he's involved, I don't actually know ultimately how much he was involved. 
Um, uh, the whole process of making the movie was not something that I was super involved in. I'd get like updates from time to time being like, this is happening, this is happening. And you're always like, okay, great. Like, you know, <laughs> because you, you the expectation is that it's not going to happen. Like, right. But you have to be enthused. So you're like, yay, but all right. Um, but uh, yeah, so then it things just sped up. I think once Jennifer Lopez signed on, people mm-hmm. wanted to work with her. Um, she was in Laureen, the director's vision from really early on. I think like when I met Laureen two years ago, she's like, the person that I see for this is Jennifer Lopez. I was like, that's amazing. Um, at the time she hadn't been in very many movies. I think it was like, oh, what a unique, inspired, amazing choice. And it is, I mean, she's actually amazing in it. Um, but, uh, so that's kind of how that happened. I mean, from my perspective, I really was just kind of like a cheerleader from the sidelines being like, yay, this person, oh my God, ah, I can't believe this person got cast. Um, but, you know, still kind of like checking my emotions that I wasn't going to get like, you know, disappointed when it didn't actually happen. So when it, mm-hmm. now that it's actually happening, it's just very surreal. And I, I haven't seen it. At, uh, by the time people listen to this, it will be out and I will have seen it, but uh and it will have premiered in, in Toronto. I understand you are a character in there, right? Uh, yes. Yes, Julia Stiles is playing a journalist character um, named Elizabeth that is loosely based on myself. What was that like? Um, it's so fun. Like, I know the answer to who would play me in a movie. Right. So it's it's super fun. It's great. She's great. Um, it's a small part. It's kind of like... Um, she kind of guides you through what happened um, hmm. in a way. Um but she's great at it. Um, she came over to my house, Julia Stiles, and and asked me questions, and um, you know was very thoughtful, um, and said like you know when you were talking to the police, like what kind of questions did you ask, um, and you know do you use a tape recorder or do you take notes and things like that, and and I think she um, incorporated those things in the end, even though um, even though she has a much nicer apartment than I do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned, uh, Adam McKay, so I'll, I'll kind of ask this now, but I, I do, I do think there's a big similarity, uh, in your work and kind of the way you guys use humor to, you know, kind of skewer some, some, uh, whether it's Silicon Valley or, or, or Wall Street or whatever it may be. Is, is that something you picked up on when you were interviewing him or, or, or I'm curious kind of what you think about, about that comparison? Oh, wow. Well, that's a super, super flattering comparison. <laughs> I mean, that is why I got assigned the big short profile Mm -hmm. in the first place, because I kind of covered the financial crisis in a silly way, a little little bit on the daily intelligencer blog, right when I first started in New York magazine. So it's very like intimate with that material. Um, but also tried to see the humor and the humanity in it. Um, yeah. And I think that Adam is like that. I mean, he is just totally so brilliant. It's unreal. Like reading that script, um, which I think in the end won best screenplay. It is just such an achievement that I, I was like, I can't even be jealous of this because I could never do this. It's amazing. Like mm. he's super, super talented and, um, and has managed to bring like levity, um, and also like, you know, had got people to watch a, a movie about the financial crisis, <laughs> um, which is an achievement. And, and, in, in general, you know, whether it's, uh, I don't know, H- H- McKay's Succession series, which I don't know if, if you watch, but... Oh, it's the best. Uh, the best. 
Uh, how, how have you noticed covering wealth, covering business, if you want to call it that, you know, for, for a decade, how have you noticed perception of, uh, of the wealthy and powerful, you know, change in the last year or, or two, or, or go back to 2016, whatever, whatever kind of time frame you want to put on it? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, I will say that succession does a thing that it's kind of what I was talking about before, where it's like these people are maybe kind of terrible, but they're also humans. Like it's, yeah. I, I think that that is almost valuable in a way um, because what's not helpful that's happening right now is, is that people um, think of people who are wealthier than them or, or not wealthier than them as, as like a different kind of species. Like they're, we're all human beings. And like, I, I do think that as kind of ridiculous as that series is and, um, you know, it, as ridiculous as the characters are, you do feel for them. And, um, in my own like writing that it's always, that's been my experience. Like I, I genuinely like almost felt for Lloyd Blankfein when he's trying to explain to the financial crisis inquiry commission, like what, <laughs> what a CD, like how markets work. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's not, like he's not like a, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say he's not a villain, but like, it's not an individual. That's the problem. It's like, it's a system. That's a problem. And I, I think there is a lot of like blaming of individuals going on and a lot of like villainizing of people that is ultimately not that helpful because it's the systems that we have that are the problem. Um, and kind of all of this focus on personality uh, has been problematic. Um, people's perceptions of the wealthy, it's super interesting because obviously after the financial crisis or, and during the financial crisis, it was like 100% like, you know, Occupy Wall Street, like these people are the worst, we hate them. And then something happened, things shift and Donald Trump gets elected president. You're like, wait, and, and it puts <laughs> Ross right. in his cat. It's like, it's really been mind boggling. Like I can't. I, I can't even uh, really comprehend. I mean, I can comprehend what happened, and it's complicated. But but um, it's it's very strange. It's a very strange um, turn that we've taken with that, um, where we go from kind of uh, on the verge of like fixing this systemic problem to really doubling down on it in a really intense way. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know, but I generally, generally overall, I do feel like there's not a lot of benefit to sides to to um, to everybody kind of digging in um, and being like this person is this way and this person is that way, and there's no in between. Focusing on on these personalities, like you're saying, and 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 interviewing a bulk of the one percent, how have, have you noticed they have changed? What why you've been doing this beat? I mean, do you notice more? self-awareness or, or kind of recognition of, of the way uh, us on the, on the outside are, are thinking of them? Or what, what, what changes have you noticed there? Well, it's not like I hang out with the one person. <laughs> no, but the, the, the ones you, the ones you interview, drop the ones in. you write about. I drop in. I would of say course. like culturally things have like shifted uh, in various ways. Like after, after 20, after 2008, after the financial crisis, people were just trying to like a lay low. They were not trying to have a public profile. They were not trying to get caught doing anything wrong or saying anything wrong. They were very careful about their choice of words. Um, now it's just like a free for all. Like you can say, I, I'm Lloyd Blankfein could be out there talking like so much uh, 
I'll say smack because the New York Times, Lord Lyman could be out there saying inflammatory things and no one would care because there's so much other stuff going on and that that is not where the focus is. And, and um, so that's been interesting. Like, like Steve Mnuchin, like how he, you know, manages to like kind of exist in the world is still kind of mind boggling to me and, and Wilbur Ross, like those guys will go to conferences and say crazy things, things that like back in 2008, people would have been like, what? And now it's just like a, maybe a headline in Reuters, like, and, and it's not, you know, but they'll just say like, you know, wildly disconnected things. Um, and that's been very interesting to see. They are definitely more comfortable being themselves. Um, and I don't know. I mean, will that last? I, I have no idea. I, I, it's, it's, um, interesting and, and terrifying to imagine what's going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, I won't, I won't push too hard there because otherwise we'll get, um, totally derailed. I, um, when you're, when you wrote the, the, the hustlers at scores story, how, how much of an economic story did you see it as that? You mentioned the recession and, and kind of the role it played. And I'm curious, you know, now the story has been rewritten, you know, for the screen. So that obviously has a bunch of translations, but, but the economic message of it, um, how, how maybe you see that differently than maybe you did five years ago? Um, I, I always saw it as 100% a story about uh, money and about anxiety about money and about kind of the culture in New York mm. City where um, even the very wealthy people um, don't feel like they have enough and need more. You know, like, why is Steve Schwartzman still working? I don't yeah. know. Like, I knew a guy who, during the financial crisis, like, stopped renovations on his castle because he, like, was paycheck to paycheck with his, like, you know, gajillion-dollar paychecks. Wow. And so it's, like, that weird, that that thing, whatever that is, like, mm -hmm. where we live in New York City, like, um that kind of frog and boiling water type situation, like where you, you uh, don't realize kind of how crazy things are until you're boiled like that, that seems to me to be like a little bit of a, a relatable situation. Um, you know, in the same way that I was saying, like Grace Church, like those people's anxieties are, are really over the top, but I also relate to them. I, you know, in the same way, I guess I can find a place to relate to the guy who stopped renovations on his castle <laughs> because he was living paycheck. But it's like, oh, wow, you still live like that, even though, I mean, it's crazy, mm -hmm. but there is like, I guess I'm always kind of looking for the human connection and things. So um, with Hustlers, yes, I definitely saw it as, um, as a, a story that was primarily about um, financial anxiety and the kind of need to um, there, there's a, a part in the story and it's, I think also in the movie where uh, Rosie Rosalind Keough, the main character um, in my story um, talks about how she kept saying to herself, like, I'll quit. I'll quit when I get to this certain amount. I'll quit when I get to this certain amount. And then she would hit that amount. And she'd be like, Oh no, but I need more. Mm -hmm. And, I, I, something about that just related to me, like that kind of ratcheting up of expectations that you have when you live in an, an urban center like New York. And um, I think we see that um, kind of attitude like uh, replicated uh, all 
across our culture in, in various ways. Um, it's very, very heightened in New York. And it was also really interesting, the kind of dynamic, uh, the way that Wall Street affected the strip club. Um, when the stock market went down, those clubs just emptied out. Right. Um, and that, and it kind of decimated that industry. And so they were really affected by the financial crisis, which was really interesting. The, the way you're talking about New York, I'm curious, and, and uh, you personally, you and your editors, you as a, as an NY mag staff, do you think of you guys as, as insiders in New York or, or as outsiders looking at, at this weird New York thing? I can't speak for the editors at New York magazine. Um, and how they see themselves, but I guess the magazine in general is is more insidery. I always have felt quite a bit like an outsider. I'm not mm -hmm. from here. I'm from Massachusetts, which in many ways like kind of <laughs> positions itself opposite to New York. And then I went right. to school in Philadelphia, which also, you know, has like a a fraught relationship from New York. So I really feel like as, an as interloper. You know, right. <laughs> exactly. I feel like an interloper um, in, in a lot of ways. So I've always felt a bit like an outsider. At the same time, it's like you do kind of get used to like uh, these silly New York things like, you know, oh, a cocktail is, is $16. Okay, that's normal. Like, right. you know, these things happen where that are, you know, kind of like where you, you normalize them and then you go somewhere else and you're like, oh, right. Like, it's not, it's not like that um, everywhere. Like, you know, New York people are famous for going places and being like, oh my God, like this place is huge. How much do you pay for it? Wow. What a bargain. I'd buy 10. You know, <laughs> there is like a, there, that is, that does happen. So that kind of like fascinates me. And it's just a perspective that I always try to keep um, that living here is not, um, is not normal. Um, it's not the way, the way that the rest of the world lives. Um, yeah. and how do you keep that perspective now that you, you know, you've been here a while, you've been in a couple neighborhoods. I mean, I leave a lot. <laughs> I, I don't go to like a lot of media parties. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, no, I, I, I don't know. You just, you try, I mean, I, yeah. I leave and I travel and I talk to other people and I'm, you know, a journalist, so I'm like not in the 1% and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I know a lot of different kinds of people i guess um this is the 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 don't get fired portion of, of the conversation but um and, and you can you can chuckle and, and and say nothing else and we'll move on to the next question you um retweeted uh megan greenwell's recent essay on her way out at deadspin um which i thought you know, was one of the best essays of the year we included it in the newsletter but I'm, I'm curious how much you think about you know when we're talking about insiders and outsiders i mean you're working for, for a corporation, for, for an old money corporation, however you want to um, describe it. And I'm curious how much that enters your thinking or, or uh, your, your conversations with uh, subjects uh, and, and just your work in general. Um, I think about it all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I do feel like uh, it doesn't affect my work. Um, we're fortunate enough that the the family that owns New York Magazine, um, they don't interfere in editorial decisions. It's not like a it's not like a place where my editor has ever said to me like, you know, you can't write about that person because they're friends with so and so. Mm -hmm. um, or if they have, then I've been like, and now I'm gonna do it anyway, and then I just right. do it, and like nobody, nobody. Yeah, it's like a they're they're very. Um, 
they're very uh, good about kind of being, um, they're very good about that uh, mm-hmm. stuff. So it's not, it's not a restrictive atmosphere in any way. Um, it's a, it's a small, it's like a family business. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a corporation is the other thing. It's not, it's not enormous. Um, and it's, uh, it's not a factory the way that Megan was describing in her essay. Like it's not a thing where they're, they're trying to, um, get people to kind of pump out all of this garbage. I mean, everybody has kind of had to change, um, the volume of what they do and, and, uh, you know, you do have to like kind of compete in that way. Um, I suppose. Um, but, uh, it's not the, the focus there is so on the quality people. I I think the traffic really comes second, the traffic and the, and the desire for eyeballs. Like people really do care about the quality of the work and they care about the brand and, um, and the kind of mission of the magazine and kind of keeping that identity. Um, and it just doesn't, it doesn't affect uh, other than what I've already said, which is that like, it has kind of put me onto this beat where truthfully I have no business. I'm interested in it, but like it hasn't affected what I do in any way working for a corporation. Um, but what I thought was really interesting about that essay and like why I retweeted it is that, um, what she says is right. They're like advertising does actually support this kind of work. Um, and it, the expectations have gotten really kind of outsized for, for what, um, the, the amount of traffic has to be. And, and, um, and, but and the, at the end of the day, I think like, if you do focus on the quality of the work, then that, um, will, uh, bear out in some ways. Yeah. I hope. No, I- no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think we, we, we share a ton of New York stuff in, in our newsletter. And uh, I'm a huge fan of, of a bunch of the, the, the verticals or subsites or whatever word we're using these days. Um, I mostly try not to think about it. And I just kind of like focus on my knitting and like and like <laughs> just try to like do the do good stories. And yeah. I will do them in a different format um, mm-hmm. if it if it is the correct format for the story. Like I, I'm totally into all of that uh I'm not adverse to that kind of change at all, but um, but yeah, I don't feel like particularly pressured to uh, to start making listicles, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, and 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 yeah, I mean, it's just so interesting to to me the like like you're talking about being an, an outsider on on the speed and uh, the the I don't know like the 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 better and better you get you get it and, and still staying removed or, or naive and in, in, in some regrets seems so important to, to be a part of it and, and, and notice kind of the weird stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not an outsider. Like I, it, it's probably like obnoxious for me to even say that. Like I do like, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably not at this point, but I think I just, I do have that perspective and that like kind of like chip on my shoulder in a way that like, you know, for better or worse, it's like I keep it. <laughs> Yeah. Keep it around. You you, uh, you you know you mentioned kind of the, the changing landscape and going back to the uh, adaptation aspect and, and w- without getting too much into into the contract weeds is that is that a serious you know part of of your ability to to keep doing this? Oh, I think so. I think that um, well, I, it's hard to like you know really project towards the future in any way mm-hmm. with anything going on with media. Sure. But um, I think that 
the the kind of current uh, situation with television, with Netflix and, and all of these streaming services producing original programming and um, that kind of dovetailing with interest in true stories and also like kind of like a need for narrative um, mm-hmm. because there's so much news flying at you at every second of the day. Um, it's kind of helpful to have somebody kind of piece things together into a very detailed narrative. Um, I think all of that is is great um, for journalists or can be great for journalists, I should say. It could also, um, you know, be terrible and, and uh, evil. But, um, but generally, I think there's like a real opportunity there because a Netflix series um, – or even like a documentary like they made about the fire festival is so not, um, not different from what we do already. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it is in that you need a lot more people to agree to make something like that. <laughs> like in New York magazine, you need like three people to agree to a story. Uh-huh. Um, I don't even know how many it takes to agree to make a movie, but, but it does feel like the opportunity is there to, to again, like kind of grow these, these projects that otherwise um, would just, um, be an article that lives in an archive that people spend 15 minutes reading. Um, you know, it's, it's nice. It's, there's a possibility for, for things to have a longer life. Um, I'm not sure that if I said this or not, but, um, but yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, it's like you make these articles and it takes all of this time and effort and blood and sweat and tears. And it's nice to see them kind of go forth and, prosper and and live in the world as as adults and and become different things and uh it's it's very gratifying and i think that that's a nice thing for um for journalists yeah yeah absolutely you you mentioned uh profiling adam mckay and uh you've written other stories uh you talk with aziz ansari or channing tatum and how how does that kind of art that artistic profile how have you started doing those or what role do those plays is that something you're still interested in doing Um, so I actually think I'm like a terrible celebrity profiler. I'm like not good at it. I lucked Uh out with Channing Tatum. I've had like a few really, cause he's an amazing, sparkling, wonderful personality. Um, and you know, these people are all really interesting. Um, I'm not very good at it. I, I have a hard time with actors. I like, you know, I get like, I'll let them talk to me about like the craft or whatever for a long time. I think it's interesting. And then it's uh-huh. like, Oh, I go home and I'm like, Oh no, this is terrible. This is garbage. Um, yeah. So it depends. Like it's so hit or miss, but I always think it's going to be fun and it is kind of fun. Like there uh-huh. is like something fun about like being totally out of your life and going and like interviewing a movie star and like spending like a tiny bit of time in their world. Um, the access that you get obviously is like really you never know quite what it's going to be. It could be like two hours. It could be, you know, days and days. Um, but yeah, I, I like, sometimes it's fun and then more often it's actually not fun. It's like kind of torturous. I think Taffy Broadster Ackner at the time says written like amazingly about this. It's like, super hard and it's like not and you always like kind of feel bad for the people that you're interviewing and um i i like it sometimes but it's i don't know if it's my best skill uh, i i i wanted to ask about one in particular with, with, with adam driver um five years ago now i guess and it was just so interesting reading you know, your, your stories about these 
women and, and, and their big scheme and, and all these different uh, uh, bankers and, and, and their various schemes. And then you, you, you uh, went on a helicopter ride with, with Adam Driver. Right, right. Um, yeah. He, he had this quote in there that, that it really stuck out. It's very nice, uh, he, he said about his success, uh, quote, but in a way, I don't feel like I've really put in my dues. Like it doesn't feel, uh, and you emphasized earned. Um, and, and then, so like, I'm curious what it was like meeting him and you talked before about the difficulty in writing that story and, and kind of his normalcy. And, and, and so I guess it's, it's a long windup of asking if after, you know, interviewing all these other people, if you found Adam Driver a little boring. Oh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's funny. First of all, it happened exactly that way. It's like I would sort of see these celebrity profiles as like a palate cleanser between these yeah. like big taxing stories. I'm like, oh, now I'm just going to go on a helicopter ride with Adam Driver. It's going to be great. And then I get there and I'm like, oh, no, I didn't find Adam Driver boring at all. He's not boring at all. He has a really interesting um, story and like a really interesting narrative where he, you know, joined up with the Navy or something like that after September 11th and, you know, really wanted to like, um, do that. And then, you know, broke his leg or something. He's, he's an interesting character. He's the person though, that I let talk to me about the craft because he's like an actor and it's interesting when people who are charismatic movie stars are talking to you about their craft. You're like, wow, this is really fascinating on the page. It's like not fascinating. Um, so that was definitely a situation where I went home and was like, Oh no, I have like all of this crafty stuff. Um, and, what am I going to say about this guy who's just like pretty cool and like, you know, there's not like, I didn't have like a theory of Adam driver, mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't like a, I guess it was probably a little bit more fun early on because it was new to do celebrity profiles, but also because celebrities used to be treated differently. Like they were like, mm -hmm. they, they were like, you know, these kind of like weird exotic animals and they didn't have their own outlets for expression like Instagram or whatever. So when you had an experience with a celebrity, it was like, what is your world like? And then you get to be like the translator of that world. And that um, is, and they, and they want to tell you things because they aren't trying to save it for their Instagram um, or their blog or, you know, who knows what. Totally, yeah. Um, so like, so I had like a fun time with like Adam Levine, who's like a super caged animal. Like he's just so famous that it's like ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's like Adam Driver is just lives in Brooklyn. Um, not going to Grace Church, though, by the way, I heard. Um, and uh, yeah, and he's like an actor and he's like super thoughtful. And it was just like, oh, gosh, this is like it's like profiling someone like, you know, kind of that, you know, like I, I didn't have it in me. Like I'm not like a... Mm. I'm not like an omnivorous like culture person like where I like was could really talk about Star Wars or whatever for a yeah, really right. long time. <laughs> I'm really like do focus on personalities. And so, yeah, I had a hard time with that one. Um, and I have a hard time with with actors in general. And, and um, just because what they do is almost similar to what I do and that you're like kind of like telling a story and getting to know a person and asking a lot of questions. And it's it's just weird. Yeah, it, it, it's funny to hear that the, the hardest thing is like the thing you know best and, and you're kind of you like diving into these crazy worlds that you have no familiarity with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's what's fun, right? It's like right. kind of getting to know a world.
Is is there a a, a celebrity or or a village uh, you know a, that, that that you want you want to uh, dive into next? Oh yes, but I wouldn't ever tell you. Fantastic, <laughs> that's the right answer. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jessica Pressler. Thank you again for joining us. It's been a lot of fun talking with you, and, and I do hope everyone goes out and sees Hustlers the movie. Uh, Ooh, me and, too. And, and thank maybe, you. Maybe maybe read the story before you go out there and refresh your memory. Um, uh, our producer this week I have to give a shout out to Peter Bailey Wells did a lot of getting everything together for this he's the reason you're able to listen to it uh, the Sunday Long Read newsletter will be back on Sunday the podcast will return soon after thank you again for listening thank you